This is Heather Bayer from the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, and I'm talking today to tiny house builder and entrepreneur Christy Wolfe about the unique homes she's built in Hawaii and the Pacific Northwest. Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information, and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new, and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, I am super delighted to be back with you. And as you're listening to this, I'm preparing to head off to Europe for a couple of weeks and spend some time with family that I haven't seen for two and a half, nearly three years now. I'm going to meet my new grandson, who will be nearly two years old. So that's super, super exciting And I'm recording a few episodes before I leave to make sure that everything goes out on schedule. You don't miss a single episode. So you'll have a couple of episodes upcoming, one with Jodie Bourne, uh, where we're talking about email marketing and lead magnets and whether, whether lead magnets are dead. Or if you've actually ever really understood what a lead magnet is, we're going to be explaining that and how you can use them and the benefits of doing this. I'll also be talking to Dana Young about virtual concierge and how you can use Alexa in the home to really dispense with any type of guide, I guess. All you have left is voice-activated welcome manual. So that's going to be interesting. But that's that's in a couple of weeks. So for now, for today, I've got a really, really special guest and it's somebody I've been following for quite some time. And it was interesting because I was talking to Andrew McConnell from Rented.com last week and he was sharing his thoughts on where this business is going, where our short-term rental business is going. And we were talking about unique destinations and about locations that nobody's ever heard of and how these seem to be gaining such a lot of traction, which is great because it means if you're out there looking to invest in in property or in land, it does not have to be in the conventional destinations. Really, anywhere is a destination now because just about everywhere has stuff going on around it that people might like to go and see. And it seems like the pandemic picked up so much interest in rural locations and places where people can get away from it all. So I was really happy when Christy Wolf got hold of me and she sent me an email talking, in fact, about uh, a competition that Airbnb is running for people who are thinking about building something unique. And Christy is a judge on this competition. So we're going to be talking about this at the end of the conversation. But firstly, we're going to be talking about the homes that Christy has built by hand, by herself. And these are just amazing. And they range from a jungle tree house in Hawaii to a hobbit hole cottage. 
Uh, you know, if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings that, and The Hobbit, then you'll love listening to this and hearing about how she built her short-term rental in the side of a hill. And there's a fire lookout in Idaho. And also, Christy is the owner of the Potato Hotel in a field in Idaho. You may have heard of this. I saw it oh, a long time ago on a, a, travel show, or a travel show or a home building show. And I'd, I'd seen this, uh, this place featured. So I am so delighted to be able to bring Christy to you where she's going to be sharing her thoughts on creating tiny houses, creating tiny, unique houses and sharing her immense success with Airbnb with these tiny houses. So without further ado, let's move on over to this great interview with Christy Wolf. Well, I am super delighted to have with me today Christy Wolf, who is in a truck stop. Where, whereabouts are you, Christy? <laughs> I'm in Pendleton, Oregon, halfway home to Boise between my lakeside Oregon property on the coast that I've been working on I'm headed home today for a few days. Wonderful. Well, I've, I've never done an interview with anybody that's in a truck stop, and I just want to congratulate <laughs> you on your sound quality. Because <laughs> usually I've got people in, you know, in their home studios frantically trying to set up their brand new microphones, and, you know, this is, this is perfect. I would say about 98% of my interviews are done on the side of the road somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's fantastic and fantastic to, to meet you in person. I've been following you for a few years and been so interested in what you've been doing, you know, in, in the you know, tiny house building, but also in the whole entrepreneurship area, because we hear so much about, you, you know, you can see an ad everywhere for courses and seminars on, you know, make a million on Airbnb by coming along to this course and they're telling them to buy the cookie cutter style of apartment or whatever, you know, townhouse, villa and keep it simple and automated and then you don't have to do anything. And then I come across you that who has created these amazing spaces. So I'm so happy to talk about this. Find out where this all started and, and where it's all going. And at the end, we're going to talk about the Airbnb competition, the OMG competition to encourage people to do what you've done. So let's keep Yeah, off. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. How did, you know, you're going to give us a backstory about how this all came about from working on a potato line. <laughs> yes. Um, I've worked several factories actually like throughout my team. I really like manual labor I guess and seeing how things work and um, so I've, I've worked in a few and one of them was a potato factory and prior to that I kind of had some construction knowledge because I come from a big family there's six kids and my dad was a high school teacher so he didn't have any money and my mom would remodel our houses to make them fit our entire family. And so it wasn't like a, an HGTV flipping sort of situation. It was literally like we need another room to fit some kids in. So she would, you know, remodel a whole basement. And um, I always tell a story that we went to school one day. And when we came home, there was a sidewalk poured. There was no intention of a sidewalk being poured before we left, but that's just how my mom was. Uh, somebody else was pouring sidewalks in the neighborhood. 
And they said, hey, you can have our extra if you want. So she went and built forms really quick and we had a sidewalk. So it's really impressive because she, we didn't have a Home Depot in our town and from Southeast Idaho, very small area. And uh, we didn't have the internet back then. So how she figured things out, I don't know, but I grew up, you know, kind of knowing we didn't have money to hire people. So we did everything ourselves. And then years and years later, I was doing different experiments every year in my 20s, like no meats and no sugar, which was definitely the hardest one. And then I did, I kind of stripped away everything. And so I decided to do an experiment in minimalism. And I built a tiny house, not like the tiny houses you see now that are all tricked out and cute. Mine was a shed on wheels, literally. And nobody knew what a tiny house was back then. And I rented out a space on an R and a tree farm, an RV space on a tree farm. And I had to like go over and show the people like what a tiny house looked like. And, you know, basically got rid of a lot of my belongings. And I just instantly loved it where the other challenges were so difficult. You know, that was the point. Living in a tiny house was so easy. And I was like, I'm going to make this permanent. So I found a cheap piece of land on the outskirts of Boise, which is now where one of my property lives now, the Big Idaho Potato Hotel. And I bought this piece of land for $5,000, $1,000 down, 500 bucks a month. And uh, just like this miserable little piece of dirt. And I moved my house and made it off grid. And that made me kind of eliminate my bills. So even though I was making probably 13 or $14 an hour at a recycling plant, then I, I literally, I would buy cars for no more than $500 and run them into the ground. So I just really didn't have any bills. And I decided, you know, I might be able to build another structure and see if I could rent it out. And this is you know, about nine years ago. So Airbnb, I hadn't stayed in one. That was kind of a new thing. We were still, me and my girls looking up in the newspaper or the thrifty nickel and renting out our vacation spots, you know, sight unseen. So I bought a piece of land off of Craigslist in Hawaii and had never been there before. And then I went there and built a tree house. Can I, I thought can I just if I could stop? have it rented for eight days a month, yeah. Can I stop you there? <laughs> Just Hawaii. Yeah. So, yes. so you've gone from yeah. Idaho and the bit of dirt in Idaho where you built the small, the tiny house and just upsticked and went to Hawaii? Yeah. Well, I knew I wanted to build a tree house. So that's where it started. And I'm like, a tree house needs to be in a rainforest. And then keeping in the U.S., there's not a whole lot of places. And so I had one of my brothers had been to Hawaii and, um, you know, most people think that that would be very expensive, but the rainy side of the big Island is actually quite affordable. And so I got on Craigslist and I called up this ad and my property was $8,000. Again, I paid him $200 a month, no interest for three years. And, um, you know, was able to do it back then. I, I just did not have any money. I was just you know, paycheck to paycheck and able to, to make that happen. And I'm like, nobody ever complains about Hawaii. It must be nice. And it really is. So what happened after that? Because, you know, you, you have sort of grown incrementally from there. So yes. what came after the treehouse? After the treehouse um, was successful and, and it was pretty immediate. And um, I decided that I really wanted to build a hobbit hole. So in the ground, a legit 
hobbit hole, not just the round door. I wanted it to be like really accurate. And so um, I went on a trip with my mom down Oregon and Washington for about a week looking at land and I didn't find anything. And then when I got back home, somebody mentioned this place, Chelan, Washington. And I got back in the car, drove up there, bought a piece of land. And that was the next one that I did. So, so where did you get that inspiration to build a hobbit hole? Why, why did you want to do that? Well, I'm not um, a big fantasy person, but I remember like the cartoon probably came out in the 70s. I watched it in the 80s and I was just obsessed with the house. I just thought the house was so cute. So I did do a lot of uh, due diligence when I was designing it and actually building it because I knew that people that would come to stay are going to be super fans. So I wanted to make sure I got all the, the details right with it but I was really just I loved the structure and I wanted to do something that was the opposite of what I did so I had built this in the rainforest in the sky and so I'm like what's the opposite of that Uh, inside the hill and so pretty much all my places kind of go from opposite sort of environment and construction. I I was particularly intrigued with the with the Hobbit House and and the research you did into it because it, it's not as if it's just a hole in the ground with a round door but you've really gone into the research into what these people and when I say these people these are the guests that you've found in Hobbit in, in Hobbit enthusiast forums so yes. I, I just th- thought that was fascinating because you went to find your guests as well. Yeah, I was always checking things. What's really funny is when I launched it, I tried to do some like partnerships with Instagram, Lord of the Ring accounts. And then I would get a message back saying, "Um, I'm 16. I don't think I am allowed to do that. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) So, I mean, the the, the Hobbit house now, and I read somewhere Mm -hmm. that you are booking out or you've got a waiting list of people wanting to come and stay there. Yeah, the average person, I think, waits 430 days to be able to stay there. So that's about how booked out we are, more than a year. And are you building more? Because I'd read that I too, am. a Hobbit, a Hobbit yes. farm? <laughs> a, a Hobbit village. So I have 40 acres now, and they're in Chelan, Washington, that I'm going to build the village that I've always wanted to. I actually have a meeting tomorrow with the uh, county to talk and, and see what they're going to allow me to do. That is that that is amazing. Um, I I love that idea. So let, let, let's just go, step back a bit. What came after the Hobbit Hobbit Hole? After the Hobbit Hole, I bought a fire lookout in the Panhandle of Idaho. Uh, I knew I wanted to do a fire lookout, but I thought I would have to buy one that's been decommissioned because they're on government land typically. And I saw a blog post. However, it was old. It was like a, over a year old about a fire lookout for sale in my home state but very far (laughs) driving distance. It's still about eight hours North of me. And so I, I researched, I finally found through like the comments, the realtor, and I called him and said, by any chance, does this thing still happen to be for sale? And he was like, Oh yeah, that listing must've expired. Yeah. It's still for sale. And so I was like, I'll be there in two days. Don't let anybody buy it. And um, so I bought that. It had, it had been uh, moved in 82. So when I was born, it was moved on to private land. And then it had kind of been like a hunting lodge, you know, in the 80s, but it had largely just sat empty. And so I remodeled that and turned this little woodshed into a sauna, added a bunch to it. And that one is 
the most wished for in Idaho. And my potato is the second most wished for in Idaho. <laughs> so, so, okay, tell us about the potato because that, that's the one I think I saw on a, on a TV show a while back. That one just went everywhere. So the Idaho Potato Commission has a promotional semi-truck that hauls around a gigantic potato that looks real. And they did it for their 75th anniversary. They go to like fairs and I mean, just the most random events you can imagine. And I actually was a spokesperson on that tour for two years. And I built the Hawaii treehouse in between the first tour and the second tour. Because when I bought my land, I had no idea that this job existed. And some friends sent it to me as a joke because I'm such a big um, advocate for Idaho and potatoes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is no joke. I am doing that. So I went on the road with a giant potato and I always knew it would make a great Airbnb. However, I hadn't built anything at that point, any vacation rentals. And so years later, they retired the potato and upgraded to a more roadworthy fiberglass, a little bit narrow of one. And uh, they gifted me the old one, and I turned that into little hotel on that land that I bought for my tiny house back in the day. So all your properties are, are pretty remote. You know, it, yes. it, people have to, they have to work to get there. And when they're there, they're not necessarily close to anywhere. So yeah. where do you find these guests? I'm, I'm particularly intrigued because I, you know, I've, I've been in property management for years and deal with these high maintenance people who nowadays, you know, <laughs> if, if there isn't the Wi-Fi signal or if there isn't, um, if they aren't able to stream Netflix, then it's a disaster. Where do you find the people who are happy not only to go off grid, but out of cell phone service perhaps, and also to cook, to bring their own cooking materials like a butane stove where do you find them yeah yeah that's really interesting um i don't know how i intentionally go find them but i i really try to set the expectation you know i put on all my listings that rough roads lead to beautiful destinations because you think that you're an idaho girl that's driven on some uh, back roads but some of my places it is uh it's about as tough as you can get so I, I say all of these things in a really positive way, you know, no Wi-Fi is the new luxury. And so the people that are coming to stay to me are looking to get out of that. You know, they're, they already live in a really nice house. They already have the Netflix and stuff early on with the uh, tree house. I had a really great review that said this lady arrived and when her uh, new husband, they're mostly honeymooners, found out there was no TV, there's no Wi-Fi. He was like, what are we going to do? And then the rest of her uh, review was like, so we talked and we played the games that were provided and we, you know, laid around, we did this and that. And it, the whole review is all the things that they did when they didn't have that, you know, temptation. So I really try to do have other things in the house. The whole thing is an experience. I try to look at it from, you know, if they're driving there, I try to give them podcasts to listen to, you know, like the uh, lookout is three hours away from any airport. So everybody is driving there. This is a town of 400 people. I've never even heard of it before. And we, all my places are a hundred percent booked. So if you can, you know, really create an experience 
that these people are going to enjoy, they'll, they'll seek it out. They'll find you. So they all have their own Instagram pages, but even that wasn't, you know, I wasn't really active on when I started. Um, I always email all my past guests and let them know that I have a new property. So I have a fair amount of people that try to hit up all my properties. I think it's only been done a few times. And I have only done like paid advertising on Facebook once, I think for the potato and, and tried to do that. But I really don't advertise much. They're so quirky that media outlets are usually coming mm-hmm. to me. And then that's how people are finding it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the secret when they're coming to you, they're looking for it. And of course, you know, getting out on any form of media is yeah is such a huge benefit you also offer your places to influencers some influencers when you first launch how does that work for you yeah i've got smarter about this originally i would always trade a photographer for pictures and now i'll i'll probably do two or three photographers with different styles and have them come stay i call them my test guests so they're the first ones they're going to let me know if something was confusing or I forgot something in the guidebook because my places are so different. There is a lot to know. And then I try to pick people in my target market. So when I did the fire lookout, I start following people that are going to inspire me for my design and everything. So adventurous, you know, bloggers that, that hike a lot in the Pacific Northwest or something like that. And I just act like I'm a big company and, but mostly it's, fun for me. And I will make a PR kit. So I found this couple that does exact, they're just my target market, you know, they're going to love the lookout. And I built a like wooden crate, like how you would get receive a package in the 1800s. I built that I made a custom like pendant with their logo on it. And I filled it with all these, they're not from Idaho, but all these Idaho little, you know, soap that looks like a gemstone because we're the gem state all those little fun things and I put I painted the whole outside and said you had to open it with a crowbar so they actually (laughs) didn't have a crowbar and had to go to the hardware store and buy one but then and and I do it with no I'm just offering I enjoy what they put out and I'm offering this place for you to stay with no strings attached they don't have to post about it there's no you know you need to do this. I'm just like, Hey, I created this thing. You inspire me. If you ever want to stay, you're more than welcome to. And really I've got some really great friendships doing that. And you know, they have bigger audiences. I think sometimes people think, Oh, well this has to be somebody with a million followers. But really if somebody has Mm -hmm. 15,000 really engaged followers, that's going to keep you booked up. Yeah. Always quality over quantity. Yes. Exactly. I've I've talked to so many people who said that you know I, I I wouldn't ever use an influencer again because I've got the I've I've got the emails and the and the texts and the, the pleas for let me use your place and I'll advertise you everywhere mm-hmm. and that doesn't normally work out too well. So I, I think what you're yeah. saying here, you've got to do your research on. Yeah, I get a lot of those incoming ones too, and I don't know that I've ever signed with them. And I think a lot of people are doing their due diligence I'm like yeah at least have to have more followers than me because I'm not even trying (laughs) so um if your audience and and who is your audience are these going to be the people who want this trip you know so yeah I I just am sending it out to people who I really enjoy 
And, you know, with this one that I'm launching now, I'm doing like a dried flower bouquet and it's got all these cool little things in it. And I'm sending the different people that fit this aesthetic, these uh, bouquets. Okay. What is your latest project? Yeah, the one I'm just uh, finished up, I'm just waiting for permits to go through, is a prefab building on the Oregon coast. It's actually on a lake on the Oregon coast. And I call it the Cocoon Cottage. It is a prefab building from Igloo Craft, which is a company out of Estonia. And me naively thinking that this will be so much easier than, you know, building from the ground up. Boy, was I wrong. So it was originally supposed to take 30 to 45 days to ship and be about $6,000 door to door. And because the Suez Canal thing happened right after I shipped and then the global supply chain, it took nine months on the water and cost about $50,000. So it was like, yeah, it took forever to get there. It was a real pain. And then the permitting ended up being a pain after the fact. So if you're going to do prefab, I would buy something already built in your country. That seems like, that seems like fair advice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so let's get, you know, go back on the slight remoteness of some of the properties. How do you, mm-hmm. and, and of course, you, you know, you're talking about doing the building, about being on Instagram and, and on Airbnb. You clearly don't do all this yourself. So how do you, what, what, what is your process of managing all these different properties, marketing them, dealing with guest inquiries, etc.? Yes, um, I have used Guesty as my, you know, I guess the property manager, not property manager, but they respond to all the email requests. And with my places, I'm not just getting booking requests. I'm getting people asking if the potato is real and how it's preserved. You know, we get a lot of off the wall things. So Guesty responds to all of those messages. And I signed up for that service immediately before I had even had my first booking with the treehouse because I knew I wanted to focus on the building and not dealing with every inquiry. And then because my places are in different states, there's so many different time zones. And with Hawaii specifically, or especially... I lived in Idaho, Hawaii is like a six to four hour time change, depending on the year. And then most of my customers, my guests are coming from Asia. So then it's just like, you know, who knows when they're going to get a response. So they respond to everybody within an hour. I just have a lot of systems in place so that I'm not dealing with every guest hiccup. And then I hire caretakers in each location that are doing the cleaning. They're putting in all the extra special stuff that we do they're letting me know you know when we're out of something when we're running low on something so i have really great people in each location i think that's probably the number one thing that people are concerned about with building in a remote place is how are you going to get somebody and um really i've just had the best luck because also in those remote places there's not a lot of jobs Mm -hmm. and i pay them very well and then everybody everybody knows in whatever town i'm in the house. Everybody knows the Hobbit house in uh, Chelan, Washington. So there's a certain amount of pride that the caretakers have being the person who takes care of, of that. And I make sure I send every review, good or the bad, to my caretakers. So I noticed at the beginning of my hosting, I was only sending my caretaker when something needed to be addressed, you know, oh, the person that there's a stain on this sheet. And then I think it kind of 
it's not good for morale when they're only seeing the negative things when 99% are like over the top glowing reviews. And so I, I found that that helped a lot because it right sizes those issues with the caretakers. Um, and even in for my fire lookout, they didn't have internet until a couple months ago. No cell service, no internet in this town. So there's a bulletin board. I put an ad up there, but I wasn't getting any response. I'm like, how am I going to find somebody here? I actually, it took me about a month to figure it out, but I sent a mass mailer. So I sent a postcard saying that I was hiring to every resident in Fernwood, Idaho, and uh, was able to uh, find my caretaker through that process. So we had this discussion before we started recording, because I, but I want to bring it up, about using the title caretaker. That was, yeah. um, that, that was a decision you made rather than just, you know, oh, I'm going to hire a caretaker. You, you chose that word. Yeah, when I had originally done an ad for a cleaner, I was getting a lot of people who had cleaned hotels or something. But this, the job isn't really that. You know, I can teach anybody to clean. I'm the messiest person alive and I can clean <laughs> an Airbnb. So um, I was like, that's not really what I need. I need somebody that is going to be there no matter what. That's like the biggest thing that's going to care about these the guest experience. So I thought a caretaker was much more befitting. And I think that everybody has kind of had romanticized being like a caretaker of a bed and breakfast at some point in their life. And nobody fantasizes about cleaning a hotel, you know? So I just found the quality of people that were applying was much better. And it just is a more accurate description of what they're doing. And I actually recently, right now I'm working on in all my guidebooks, I have like about the host, about me. These are my other properties. And I'm like, really, I need to have about the caretaker in there. So I just got all of their pictures and um, we're doing like a little write up of all of them. And like, they are so sweet. And I think with, um, I see it on social media, not so much with mine, but anytime somebody mentions an Airbnb, everybody's complaining about the cleaning fees, right? Everybody's like, if I have to strip a bed, which we don't do in our place because they're so small, but if they are asked to do anything, they're just like, why should I have to pay a cleaning fee and not really thinking about the person who is doing that? And so I want to show people like these, you're supporting this family in this community. And this is their, you know, full-time job with me. They don't have other clients. I think I think that's great. I did this a number of years ago when I when I bought one of my first properties and started looking for a cleaner and just didn't get anybody. So we changed it yeah. to property manager and had a flood of inquiries and it was exactly the same job description and it was just changing right. that changing that title and and my property manager Carol was with me for well until till I sold I sold my properties in that area. And, and she said that she felt such pride when somebody said to her, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a property manager. I look after, and, and she started looking after mine, and then she found some others, and she started hiring people, and it boosted her beyond what she'd ever have imagined. And she said, if I just caught, if, if it had just been a cleaning job, she said, I never would have been, never would have been taken it on to, to being a business. So exactly. It, uh, and they might only do the cleaning if that's the yeah. case, you know, and a caretaker encompasses all the other things. You know, my potato guy, he has to feed my cow every day. He does a <laughs> lot of things. Oh, so that, is that your cow? Yes. 
Um, she's a Jersey cow named Dolly after Dolly Parton. And I have my dog sitting next to me here and she's Patsy after Patsy Klein. <laughs> but this cow came from my Hobbit Hole property. My neighbor over there, they have a homestead and this cow just didn't get along with any of the other animals. They didn't think that they're going to be able to breed her and have her for milk. And I was like, I'll take her. <laughs> and so... Um, sometimes people say like, oh, they're herd animals. She's lonely. I'm like, we have range cattle around us. And she, I just don't know that she knows that she's a cow. Cause she will freak out if any other animal comes near, but she's, she loves humans. So, um, the potato is kind of a roadside attraction and we have treats out there that you can feed Dolly. And she gets a lot of visitors and a lot of love. She's probably more popular than the potato now. I saw a wonderful photo of you and and Dolly, and it was she's so sweet. Yeah, that was wonderful. Um, let's talk about the whole. The, let's go a little bit more general and talk about the concept of unique properties because it seems like searches for them are rising. Um, Airbnb talk about the huge rise in those searches. Is is this a trend, do you think, that came about because of, of COVID and people looking for something different, something to um, something that appealed to them outside of the, the general ordinary stream of vacation homes or what? Do you is this gonna continue? I think it I think it was before and it's it's going after COVID. Um, I've been doing it for eight years now. And I do not have any vacancies unless somebody canceled last minute or if I have blocked off time to do maintenance. So I am 100% occupied at my properties. Usually, you know, the hobble hole over a year, usually three to six months out. When COVID happened, we had a couple real nerve wracking weeks. And then I think everybody just saw a huge influx of, of people. But it kind of seems... I mean, I guess we'll find out soon, pretty recession proof because there's so few of them. And I think that people like me are, are looking for an experience and not just a place to stay. I do rent places to stay, especially when I have my entire family and we just need a lot of rooms, you know, but, uh, when you're going out for an excursion, I think that, uh, these places appeal, I know, um, it was mentioned in your podcast that uh, the dog motel, which is also in Idaho and I've been driving past it, but that was built in the nineties. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been around before we had these uh, websites, but Brian at, at Airbnb noticed that people are seeking these out. The des the uh, weird, unique, quirky places are becoming the destination and not the actual city. And so they've really embraced that and built tools that now make it even easier to find with their flexible booking tool. And now their categories that, you know, they've always had some, a few categories, floating homes and tree houses, and now they have a ton of categories. And then the OMG category, which is encompasses everything that doesn't fit into a category. Yeah, I, I love this. I just found the OMG category. So before I started talking to you, I was I was in there and just, wow, it's just a, an amazing properties. But clearly there's not enough because Airbnb are running, yeah. are running a competition and you're a judge in that competition. So I'm going to turn this over to you to talk about that. I'm so excited. I wish I could enter the competition because it's so great. But as you can imagine, it's very hard to get financing for these weird things. No bank is going to give me a loan for a potato, you know. 
And so I've had to go from, yeah, making an hourly wage and just like climbing my way out, you know, using the money from one to, to buy the next. And it, it's really difficult to scale that way. But Airbnb is wanting to help people. And so they are actually giving away $10 million. So $100,000 to 100 people to build something really original. And um, I get to be a judge. I'm super excited. And it's going to be judged on um, a few things. Feasibility. So I think that's where I can really be of assistance because I've actually built places to know and to help people make whatever their crazy thing and say, this is how it can be done. So feasibility, originality, and what's the third thing? Oh, the guest experience. So with my places, I'm trying to, yeah, it's not just a place to stay. I want to give you that whole experience the entire time you're there and, and really paint the picture of what that's going to be like. So it's very exciting. It ends uh, July 22nd. So you got to get in those submissions now and it's worldwide. We were going to do this. It actually like launched in 2020 in March of 2020 for like two days. And then they're like, Oh, the world's ending. We're going to stop this. But back then it was only 10 winners and $1 million. So now they're doing, they've 10 X it, which is really, really cool. That's, that's amazing. So, you know, July 22nd, from, from the day of this publication, we're only looking at about eight or nine days. Is that feasible for somebody to come up with an idea? What, what, needs, to be, what needs to go into that submission? Does it have to be fully researched with blueprints and everything? No. Right now, it's just like a 500-word describe your crazy idea, where you're going to put it. Um, so really, and you can submit multiple ideas. They just have to be separate entries. So if you're like me and you have a million, you can just keep keep feeding them and like hopefully one of those gets picked up. And, and what will take place after that if, it's, if, if, if these ideas are picked up? How, how does somebody win this? Yeah, so after that first preliminary round, we'll narrow it down and then we'll ask for some sketches. I don't think it has to be as in-depth as a blueprint. None of my places have blueprints. I, they're just napkin sketches and then graph paper and then I'm, you know, nailing things together. So that will be the next, you know, round. But when you win, you'll get uh, the money in three different installments. So you'll get 33000 and that will hopefully help you get your permits, you know, maybe if you need a solar system or if you're hooking up to power, kind of developing the land if that needs to happen. This could also be in your backyard and maybe you have all of those things. And then it goes on to the next phase and then the next. And the idea is that you will um, list this on Airbnb. So is there is there a deadline for having this thing completed, this unique place completed? Yeah, we would like you to build it within a year. So, and there will be mentors like myself that can help, you know, uh, guide them through that a little bit. So, so who are these mentors? Well, me, I'm, I'm the judge that is the builder. And then there's an architect firm on the judging panel and then um, an, an like style influencer on the panel. And I'm not sure what their contracts say and how involved they are, but I know that Airbnb has put this whole team together. I mean, we've been talking about this for years and they've also called a bunch of other people who do this sort of stuff. 
maybe not, maybe they're just in one location, they've built unique things, or maybe they're specialized in domes or something like that. But I know they've consulted a lot of people that have already done it. So, yeah. Yeah, oh, this is super cool. I, I'm going, I, I will look forward to this to, to perhaps. Are you going to submit something? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an idea? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, perhaps. You never know. You should. You yeah, should. but I think so. So what advice would you, for, for those people who are listening to this, who are suddenly, this is the first time they've heard about this, and they're all now fired up. What would you tell them? Because you guys have only got a few days to get this done that is true i think things that stand out are going to things that are different that we haven't heard about if you say that you're going to do a tree house that's probably not going to break through if it's a particular kind or it has a feature or you have an amazing spot for it that could all be really helpful but it's it's i don't think that it's enough to just say a floating home you really need to say you know, this is going to be a boat access only floating home and it's going to have a slide from the rooftop down into the water, whatever it might be. Just really like shoot for the moon on it. The craziest things that you can come up with. And then, you know, we'll go from there. We'll figure out what, you know, what the city will allow (laughs) is always a big one. And then, yeah, I'm just like, really, it can't be too crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to be interviewing some of these winners. That's for sure. Yay. I know. I can't wait to go stay in all of them. (laughs) So what's next for for you, Christy? What comes in the next couple of years, your five-year plan? I have the the Hobbit Village that's in the planning stages of them being able to let me know what I can do. But I'll probably get the power and water put in this year and I won't be able to do construction till after the winter next year. Um, but I started working on a house in Salmon, Idaho on this high mountain lake. I call it the shipwreck house because somebody built a house over the water that resembles a ship in the 60s. And then it's, it was just, I don't know what happened. It was abandoned. It's kind of a time capsule in there. But everything outside has been deteriorating for that many years and so I call it instead of the ship house the shipwreck because it looks like it was hit with a cannonball (laughs) and it's definitely the biggest the most square foot of project I've ever done I I do the all my places so far have been built around couples or spending this time with somebody that you love and I haven't ever done anything none of my properties allow kids so far pets yes no no to the kids so this is my first kid property family property and it's going to be insane so I get to go finish that up here next month it's got this crazy built-in treasure hunt and this whole treasure room and I don't want to give it all away because it is going to be difficult enough that the parents need to help and clues hidden in like the map murals and and things like that so it's gonna I'm having a lot of fun with it because I do feel like it can be even crazier and I don't have kids or anything so it's just been a really fun experience like putting myself in their shoes and what they're going to enjoy so I get to go finish that up sounds like sounds like an escape room type of experience yes yeah there's going to be like a built-in escape room basically (laughs) that is that is amazing now tell me does your mom still help you out she does she says all the time that she's getting too old for it this latest property she came out with me to go look at it to buy it 
but she hasn't been out to it yet. So, and, and the build is done, but I still call her all the time and say like, okay, this is the thing that I want to do. How can I do that? And, and really that's where it's so helpful to have her because she knows how my mind works and we can just, you know, what's something that's 24 inches that's dome shaped. And then we'll go through, <laughs> you know, all the stores and, and try to figure that out. So she's very supportive in that way to, bounce ideas off of and problem solve that's just great I, I love the story that she was you know that, that your inspiration really came from her and she was out there with you in Hawaii when you first started and and she's still there advising you that's fantastic yes we like to say that everything is figure outable <laughs> we just gotta just gotta find the way <laughs> I've just written that down figure outable make sure that goes in the show yes. notes <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Christy, it's been fantastic talking to you. And, you know, you, you're, you are so inspiring that I think anybody listening who'd never thought in a million years that they might want to do something crazy and build something, I am sure they're already making their little notes on napkins and uh, and writing on the table yeah. beside of them. So the link to the Airbnb OMG uh, page will be on uh, on the show notes. So make sure you go to go there or just Google it. I'm sure you'll find it. And uh, let me know. Let me know if you are if if you are making an application. If you, if you're uh, putting in your submission for this, I'd love to hear about it. And absolutely, let me know if you win one of these hundred thousand uh, dollar prizes because I would really like to follow one of these all the way through. So. Christy, thank you so much for spending your time with me, for stopping in the truck stop on your way home. I wish you well <laughs> with your meeting at the uh, for the Hobbit Village, and we'll look forward to hearing so much more from you in the future. Thank you, and I just got to say that your podcast has been so helpful to me. I've, I have absorbed every episode from my the beginning of my journey. And it's hard to know what ideas I came up with and what ideas I heard on the podcast. <laughs> um, really, really, I'm, I'm so uh, thankful for you doing this. Well, thank you so much for listening. It's always good. It's always good to talk to listeners. You know, when when you're working on your own in. As, as I know you do, you go off for weeks on end and you work in peace and solitude and not really knowing how people are going to walk through the door of your place and go, wow, I feel a bit the same in a yeah. slightly different way, just talking into this microphone and not knowing who's out there listening and, and going to take anything from it. So thank you. Yeah, you have to imagine me in a jungle somewhere covered in mud listening to Heather on uh, my phone. <laughs> Well, let's keep in touch and uh, I'll be following you uh, as you judge this, this contest. It's going to be really exciting. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Christy Wolf. That was fantastic. So exciting to think about all these crazy ideas that are going to be turning up as these uh, submissions come into Airbnb. And I, yeah, seriously, I would love to do this to actually, for one of the successful submissions, follow the entire process through from you know, winning the thing to to getting the permits, to getting the first tranche of money and actually going through and making it become a reality. 
there is so much, you know, not only to building something, but to getting it out there and making it successful. And, and Christy seems to have this all pretty much wrapped up in a nice little bundle. So yes, let's, let's do that. And, and we will follow one of these through from beginning to end. Okay. That is it for another week. And as I mentioned, I'll be heading off to Europe in a few days. So looking forward to that. And I will be back at the early part of August and to enjoy the rest of the summer here in Ontario before we begin to map our way down to Alabama for the rest of the year. We're heading down at the end of October. So yes, um, there's a few events coming up that uh, I may or may not be going to VRMA for sure. And the Book Direct Summit in Miami, definitely going to be there towards the end of uh, October, sort of the middle of October, um, because I'm going there with Jodie Bourne and we are doing a session there, which I'm really looking forward to. There is Jen Boyle's Direct Booking Summit, uh, Direct Book Summit. I, I don't know. I get I get this. The name's confused. I will put them on the show notes. So if you're interested in attending either online as Jen Boyle's event is or in person as the Miami event is, uh, you'll be able to check those out and buy your tickets. And if you're going to be in Miami, then I really, really want to meet you and set up a session where I can uh, I can meet some of my listeners, which would be really, really cool. Okay, that's it from me for today. As ever, it's always just so much fun uh, talking to these amazing people and bringing them to you. Um, and uh, I'd love to hear what you think about unique homes, about tiny builds. Let me know if you have one and, and would like to share some something about it. I'd love to talk to you. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your day as I certainly will. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.